0: So we are in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to finish up chapter 12 today. We're going to begin in verse 10 and go through the rest of the chapter. And where we left off last week, Abram, Lot, and their families and possessions and the people associated with them had left Haran. And that was done in response to a command by God to do so. They went with promises from God that he would bless those who blessed him, meaning directly toward Abram. And uh, he would curse those that cursed him. And so they headed for the Canaanite area. God said that he would give this land while the, while Abram was there to Abram his descendants. Abram built altars to worship God in a couple of places while he was there. He he camped in the general area. And I, I brought in... My, my drawn map is still there. It's a little more expanded, but I was able to come by one this last Friday that... Uh, also has it so you can you can see some of that it doesn't really less the Negev on there uh, but uh, that might help you if you want to glance at it um, and so where we left off last week he was headed toward the Negev which is a, a desert area down there and as he's going before he went God said I'm going to make you a great nation And so that also was a promise to Abram that I'm sure he was looking forward to, probably with some question marks in his mind, being he was, at least from our perspective, of advanced years, and apparently his wife might have been as well, and she was known as Baron. And so um, he's got a lot of interesting things to think about and look forward to, on his first positive response to God's command to leave his father's house and move on. So if I could get someone to read for us Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, I would appreciate it.
1: Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe, and he was about to. I know you are a beautiful woman, and I know when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and on account of you, my life will be spared. (coughs) So when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When Pharaoh's officials saw Sarai, they commended her to him, and she was taken to the palace of Pharaoh. He treated Abram well on her account, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, Male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. The Lord, however, afflicted Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abraham, of Abram's wife Sari. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and asked, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then <laughs> Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning Abram, and they sent him away with his wife and all.
0: Yeah, appropriate inflection there I think Um, because I I have a feeling that was a pretty tense interaction between Pharaoh and Abram. So let's go through this and just take a look at 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 this, break break the story down and see what is revealed to us and maybe to some extent what is not. Uh, It starts there in uh, verse 10 the New American Standard says now that's a timing thing it's like this is the next event there's a famine in the land. And as a matter of fact, um, when, when the word here could be translated a number of ways, and one of the ways would have been severe starvation in the land. So, I mean, this is not just a uh, groceries are expensive kind of a situation. This is groceries don't exist kind of a situation, which is what a famine normally is. And it says that uh, Abram I, during this famine Went down to Egypt. Now, where did he start from? Where was he when the famine occurred? Well, I'm not trying to play too many games on you, but when we left off, it said he was headed toward the Negev. Now, was he at the Negev? Which the Negev is this? Well, I wrote it down, here, but it, it's a, it's a region. It's kind of a desert, kind of a region here to the primarily to the east of Egypt, a little bit south at, in places, but it might be. Where was he? Was he even there yet? All we know is he was headed there, is how it got left off in verse 9. When we start verse 10, it says there was a famine in the land. So, you know, whatever. I don't know exactly where he was. We can't really tell. But he went down then to Egypt to sojourn there, is the way the New American Standard has it. And that word is a little bit interesting. It says that it meant to dwell as an alien or as a dependent. So a sojourner was a person kind of like, uh, um, you know, going from one country to another today. When you get there, you don't have the same status as the people who are residents or citizens, or I'm not sure what the best word to put on it is. But so he's going to go down there and just kind of exist for a while uh, in their presence. And so here they are. They're headed down there to be visitors might be a good word uh in uh Egypt now so they're headed to Egypt and in verse 11 when they were getting near to Egypt he said to Sarai wife see now I know you're a beautiful woman I that's never wrong to remind a woman of her best attributes Uh, but he takes note of it and says and the Egyptians when they see you will say this is his wife they're going to kill me because of you that I and so um, and they'll let you live. And so this is he states his fear here. Um, so as they're, as they're getting there, he's thinking about, how is this going to go when we get to Egypt? What's it going to be like? And as a sojourner without status, uh, he's smaller potatoes down there. And so, He is anticipating that they're going to, out of a desire to add his wife to their clan, do away with him. And so his fear is death for himself, even though she would probably be allowed to live. So, what does Abram fear? Death. He fears for his life. And who does he fear? The Egyptians. And so he plots a plan. And in verse 13, we see his plan. Please say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live. Oh, I skipped on me. That I may live on account of you. So, what's his plan? He's going
2: to lie. Yeah. you
0: my sister. Lie to okay so yeah tell him you're my sister and then and then um i can live on account of you and and it goes so it says up there in the first part of verse 13 that it (coughs) excuse me that it may go well with me so he's after he's seeing a double benefit here it's not just that he's allowed to live but he's also seeing this could work out to even to be my to my advantage with them. If you're my sister and they want to be friendly with you, then they're certainly going to be friendly with me. And so um, we don't get a lot of interaction here between Abram and Sarai, do we? Um, I think it would have been interesting at this point to have been a fly riding on the neck of wh- whoever they were, they were riding on at the time, to hear how this went. Now it may be that he just told her how it was gonna be and she did it, I don't know. Uh, to me that would, I, I can't imagine very many relationships in the modern time where there wouldn't have been a little discussion follow this plan. But nonetheless, that's the plan that he suggested And so when we get to 14, verse 14, uh, it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was beautiful. So far, Abram can say my, I don't want to say prophet because he was not speaking on behalf of God, was he? But his guesstimates were right on. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. So they had pray, apprised Pharaoh of the fact this guy who just showed up here, he's traveling through, came here because of the famine. Who knows how much they knew or said. But here he is, and boy, is, is his wife beautiful. And so these guys probably curried a little bit of fa- of uh, favor with Pharaoh by putting him onto a, a potentially beautiful woman that could be in his household and we'll find out later, even be his wife. And so, you know, that's how it worked out so far. Now, verse 16, Abram again is shown to have pretty good insight into how things are going to go. Therefore, he, which is Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. And in this era, that would have been an understatement, in my opinion, because here's what being treated well meant. Gave him sheep and oxen, donkeys, male and female servants, and then a breeding herd of donkeys, female donkeys, and even camels. And so Abram got quite a stash of goods because they were currying his favor because he was viewed as the brother of this beautiful woman. And so here is Abram. And it's going pretty well. Things look good. His plan is succeeding. And I'll ask you, what did he leave out of his plan? Well, he left God out of it, didn't he? But even from human terms, he left something out. Well, he's in an awkward spot now, isn't he? Let's say that. They outlived the famine in Egypt, and a year later, or six months later, or maybe even a month later, That's there's how in the world are we going to undo this mess that he has made? Uh, so many times we look short term as well, don't we? Oh, I got a problem today, I'll fix it by well, and then it just keeps on going, you know, it just like you know, like the, 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 the folks that had problems with mice, so they got cats. Now what kind of problem do they have? Cats. You know, and there's that old story in dogs, and it keeps on going, and there's just no end in sight. <clears throat> so he started this out without voicing at least, without a recorded plan on, on how to land this thing. And so, but, but before we get to verse 17, things are looking pretty good. Abram's out there trying to figure out how to where to put all of his camels and donkeys and all the other animals that came his way. Sheep and oxen, pretty good little haul. Verse 17, and it seems like it happened fairly quickly. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Do, do you notice that? Who's in an awkward spot here in terms of the people before this plague comes about or this uh, being struck, before Pharaoh's house was struck by God? Who's in a real awkward spot? Who would you not want to be in this story? Yeah, what, what is she supposed to do? I mean, if, if she says, whoa, 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 back off, buddy, I'm married. Well, who are you married to? Abram. Well, now she's selling her husband down, down the river. If she doesn't say anything, then just all kinds of awkwardness here. Lord didn't wait around or or responded to that or whatever, so the Lord gets involved. And he struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, do we know what his plagues were? Don't have any idea what uh, God brought into the house of Pharaoh. And when we say the house, it could literally mean within his domicile, because that's where Sarai was taken, right? But in writings like this, it could mean his whole clan. For whatever, whatever it was, it apparently was significant, because Pharaoh called Abram. Now, I don't know what called meant in those days. I'm sure that, Pharaoh, that Abram found himself... Uh, unwillingly or willingly, I don't know, but at Pharaoh's command, he's in Pharaoh's presence, and it, and, it, and he's got a question: What is this you have done to me? Uh, clearly, Pharaoh is not happy because he's not. It's not like, "What did you do to me? I'm now rich." No, what have you done to me? I'm having calamity within my own home, within my family, and. Pharaoh now has some additional information. Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now where could he have found that out? We don't really, I mean he could have found out from Sarai. But if God's out there giving plagues, God may have sent a messenger. I don't, we don't know. But somehow Pharaoh is now aware of the fact that she's not just his sister, she's also his wife. and why did you say that and of course Abram has a real good answer to that doesn't he well sort of Uh, but it isn't given here and so Abram just keeps his mouth shut as far as what's recorded at least so Pharaoh says here's your wife take her and go and so um, that's that's what he, he is going to do In verse 20, there comes up a few other interesting things. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning Abram, and they escorted him away with his wife and with all that belonged to him. Do you think it's probable that he took all those gifts that he was given? Yeah. I mean, when, when you look at this situation, Pharaoh has been given plagues from God because of the presence of Sarai in his household. And so would he risk anything now? I mean, this man, certainly his wife, apparently this man is someone special in the eyes of God, and uh, God's not going to let these bad starts of a bad plan come to fruition and cause problems. And so I, I think it's highly unlikely that Pharaoh took anything back from him. And instead, he sent his men with him to escort him, away. This was kind of a, a double command here. This was a little bit like get him across the state lines. Make sure he doesn't come back. Oh, but by the way, as you're going, don't let anybody harm him. Don't let anybody steal from him. And so, uh, it says they escort him away with his wife, and all that belonged to him. Um, so here's Abram he came up with a plan when he looked at what he feared and it was it kind of worked out with God's intervention should Abram so let's let's talk about one thing first did Abram do wrong here what do you think
2: yeah.
0: he he um, You would have to say this was deceptive. One reason you would have to say it's deceptive is Pharaoh's response. I mean, Pharaoh felt like he'd been tricked, didn't he? And He probably felt like he'd been tricked because he'd been tricked. Um, Abram kept his mouth shut at least. Um, I don't want to steal too much from this. Lost my reference to it. But we're going to wind up looking at a similar event later on in Genesis. You're probably aware of that. In the middle of that event, there is something that Abram says. Go over to Genesis 20, 12. Now, we studied the lineage of Abram through his father, Terah, right? And it says Abram and... His brother, don't remember the name. They both went and got wives, and in that lineage, we hear that his wife is the daughter of Haran. Now it's a different Haran than the brother, but um, because of, they make that clear. But Sarai's um, ancestry is not revealed at all, is it? Just all he gets a name when it says Abram found a wife, Sarai. And this is something Abram says when he—it's actually Abraham, I think—the next time uh, when he goes through a similar subterfuge. Let's read. Let's hear Genesis twenty twelve. Who's got it?
2: Besides, she is. um, Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father's my father become become my
0: wife. Okay? So, if you look at that verse a little bit, what does Abram affirm about Sarah? Half
2: sister.
0: She is a half sister. And and I might have not had us read the other verse and it, there is a verse in that in that section that says she's my father's daughter but not but we don't share mothers. So, would be a half-sister. And so was it a lie? Yes. Yeah. So doesn't that reveal the situations we get into in life sometimes where you can tell a little bit of a truth, but it's still deceptive? Didn't really tell a falsehood, but you didn't affirm the truth, and you let somebody knowingly think something that wasn't true. And that's just not a good plan, and, and, and pretend then that you've done nothing wrong. Um, but, so, it may be, it's, and we would assume that Abram was telling the truth in chapter 20. So if Abraham was telling the truth in chapter 20, then here he could have said the same thing. Well, she really was my half-sister. I didn't tell you a lie. Well... It, it, it doesn't look like Pharaoh was in the mood for splitting those hairs. Uh, but so we, we see that Abram's plan with God's intervention does result in they both survive it and their uh, wealth is expanded some. So what price did Abram pay for doing this? Well, I don't know. It's a guess. Could be. Uh, People, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things when you start getting out and start. There's a lot of speculation. I'll put it that way that people make about the troubles that he started here. But there's one that you can see that's very direct right here. How do you suppose his reputation was with Pharaoh now? (laughs) Do you think that he would be welcome back in Egypt anytime soon? And even in that, is there not a testimony? I mean, I don't know how Abram should have been thinking at this time with regard to, I'm representing God, I have a testimony to give, and sin always hurts a testimony, doesn't it? And clearly, Abram was offensive to Pharaoh in this deception. I've got another question for you. What does this event seem to say about Abram's faith? Okay, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, with regard to Abram, we can say some things that would say we can understand why he might have been a little weak in his faith, might have some good I don't know if the word is justification, but excuses might work better. What, what can we say about Abram that we might say, yeah, I can see where that would have been an easy, it would have been easy to be weak in faith at this point in time. Somebody said something a minute ago. He
1: said that he was, that was the first time he'd obeyed the Lord when he went down. He's probably pretty new in this.
0: Baby. Okay, so this is not kind of a new thing. Not lots of experiences yet. Well, let's set that aside for a minute. Why would you say, compared to some of maybe our experiences in life, Abraham Abram had reasons to be strong in his faith?
2: God said he'd protect him.
0: God said he'd protect him. How did he say that?
2: He said, if anybody curses you, I will mm-hmm. curse
0: them. I'm thinking more of mode or method than I am the words. God said it in person, didn't he? god came to abram that should make an impression now we aren't given a lot of details when we are given details about god being in the presence of people they generally are scared to death get away from me i'm not worthy to be in your sight i'm evil go away i can't be in your presence now we don't know what it was like we don't know how god presented himself We don't know how he communicated. I mean, there's just no information given, and that's okay. But Abram had no question about God being there and interacting with him, at least twice probably, if not three times, if we go back and look at all that. And so he's having some interactions with God himself. And let's go back now. Rick was headed this way. What did God tell him? Yeah. I'm going to bless those that bless you and I'm going to curse those that curse you. What else did he tell him? Make you a great nation. nation. Now, how's that going to happen if Abram's dead? Do you see even the human logic here falls down a little bit? Now, we've got to be careful. We're not in the mind of Abram, right? Maybe Abram thought that God had these plans for him so it was up to Abram to make sure he stayed alive I don't know, I mean I don't know what kind of thought process Abram went through to get here and it's certainly easy for us to be critical and I think even to a certain extent for our own learning appropriate to be a bit critical you know we ought to be able to look at this and learn something from it right Um, but at the same time which one of us has God stopped and spoken to directly you know this is Abram's pretty privileged here and he may not understand just how privileged he is but I I want to apply a little bit from something Jesus said Matthew 7 5 somebody probably knows that verse it might not be just that verse it might be two verses before it gets done There you go. And so Abram's not right here. We're not trying to coach Abram. This is history. It's done. So in one way, this verse doesn't really apply. But the principle behind it is we could sit here and be critical of Abram all day long without recognizing our own similar issues. It's awfully easy to criticize somebody else. It's a little tougher sometimes to turn around and apply it to yourself. So I have an open question for you, and I want you to vigorously participate in answering it. And there will probably be many multiple answers. Abram had some advantages. We can look at Abram and said, you've got God directly making these promises to you, and you just barely get down here into Egypt, and you're already doing foolishness like this. What what were you thinking? I mean, we could join in with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, why did you do this? Matter of fact, we could look at all of mankind's history and say God created the earth and it was very good. And what's the first thing that man does? Rebels. And evil comes into the world and evil grows and prospers to the point that God says everybody's thought is evil all day long. So he looks at Noah and his family and said, you're righteous. Mostly a declaration. And and Noah's going to prove that, right? Because he... Gets rid of this evil mankind, saves Noah, righteous Noah, and Noah's righteous family in the eyes of God. And what's the first thing? Kind of first thing. It takes them a little while. They've got to grow a vineyard first. But what's the first thing they do? They get drunk and embarrass themselves, greatly humiliate themselves. And we have this whole humiliation of Noah and of Ham, and the curse comes to Canaan. And so now we've got evil prospering in the world again. And then that prospers to the point that we've got, they come down the Mesopotamian Valley and they, well, we're not going to do what God said. We're going to stop and we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build this tower and God brings another judgment. a judgment of confusion and dispersion. And now we get to the days of Abram. And there's no discussion of any faithful servants outside of Abram. And God had to call him out of paganism. And so now he calls Abram and sets him up. And what's the first part of the story we get to? Yeah, he builds some altars and does some good things. But we're not very far into the story of Abram. And he's down there making a mess in Egypt. And so we can say how foolish those people were in that time, right? Ah, boy, yeah, we're going to have the same kind of challenges. Abram had some advantages. God is right there talking to him. He's leading him. He's interacting directly in his life to even get him out of troubles that he makes in Egypt. Abram's got a lot of reasons to be very faithful to God. Should he has the, the seeds, at least, that could have grown into great confidence as he proceeded forward. Struggled a little bit. What advantages do you and I have? That's my question. Okay. We do have the written word of God. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Don't forget that. So what do we know about the written word of God? And I'm going to take you to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17.
2: It's inspired.
0: It's inspired. It's God breathed. It's useful, and when you look at what it's useful for, it includes teaching, correction. Now, I can't say it because I got out of sequence. Yeah, and then don't forget verse 17. Oh, what's verse 17 say? Better look at it if you don't know. I would encourage you to learn to pack verse 17 onto 16 every time. So the man of God will be fully equipped ready for every good work. Or something very close to that. That would be New American Standard. I think I got that right. So we have the Word of God. What's that? Now, what did you say, uh, the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be able to as quickly take you to those verses, although I might a little bit. I think i wrote one of those down uh, but what does the holy spirit do for us intercedes. intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words the holy spirit can pray even when we don't know what words would be should be used so the holy spirit's there interceding for us in our lives with God, what else? To God's
2: word
0: to us okay, um, when when the, when before Jesus is gone in his last hours with the apostles, he says, "It's good for you that I go away, that the Holy Spirit will come, which will lead you into all truth." In another place, it says, talks about and lead you into all remembrance. That's one reason we can have confidence in the words they wrote. About their experiences with Jesus, is the Holy Spirit was there to lead them into remembering, and into all truth. What else does the Holy Spirit do for us?
2: Helps us discern right from wrong.
0: Okay. Mhm. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Us. Yeah, there's a communion between us and God through the Holy Spirit. What else with the Holy Spirit? is a seal, it is a pledge it is a seal that says this is sealed it's mine, it's going to happen anybody have any others on the Holy Spirit? we've got the ones I had in my head for today Counselor, Comforter comforter, the names of of God including the ones that are applied to the Holy Spirit are really, really strong Helper okay, what other advantages do we have? We have the gospel, Romans 1, not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Gentile or to the Greek. What else do we have?
2: The record
1: of things like what he did that we can learn from.
0: Well, that's, the yeah, we've, we've got the history that's included in the, in the scriptures, right? And that's a good thing. Um, go over to John 10, 7 through 18. John 10, 7 through 18. got that for us. John 10, 7 through 18.
2: So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy.
0: what, what, what else do we have Abram didn't have? Grace. Grace. Through who? Jesus Christ himself, right? And we could go for weeks talking about what advantage that brings to us. Why that brings something to our life that makes us extremely privileged, not just in salvation, but in the information and the leadership and the guidance we need to live this life well for Christ himself but there's a couple things that we'll pull out of this short passage and one is that he did lay down his life for us if you compare that to where Abram was what promise did Abram have looking forward to Christ it's in there go back to where in the beginning of chapter 12 I will make you a great nation and what Well, keep going. Bless the world. Out of you, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. That's a vague reference to Christ. It's not just for him and his nation; it's for the whole populace of the world. Out of him will come this great blessing. And as Abram lives, we're going to see more allusions to Christ, more—maybe inf- I, I mean, allusion wasn't a good word—but more references to the Christ. To come and pictures about Christ. But but Abram didn't have Christ. Abram didn't have this born-again opportunity to have. I was a slave to sin and now I'm not. I was condemned by sin and now I'm not. He did not yet know how the price for his sins was to be paid. Or have the confidence. Of the one who paid the price saying, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know me and they follow me. Jesus is also going to say in another passage, the Father's given them to me and no one can snatch them out of my hand, right? A lot of confidence there. Would rival, should rival, that personal visit by God, shouldn't it? I mean, if you believe this word and you read those words... There's some pretty strong evidence there. What other advantages do we have? Go to Galatians 3:20. I've got two more I'm going to bring up, and then we're going to move on. We could do this for days and days, right? But we'll just get a smattering here and then I'm going to go on to another piece. Galatians 3:20. <coughs> What did I do wrong? What's
2: that?
0: Uh, we got the wrong one. Able to do more than you can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20. I wrote down the wrong thing. Sorry. I do that once in a while.
2: You know that. Just to check. check.
0: That is a pretty strong statement. <clears throat> he is able to do, and it, uh, we could say, well, this is part of the advantage of the scripture. Yes, because it tells us these truths. But we're serving a God through Jesus Christ, and that God is able to do more than we can ask or think or imagine according to not just his power, but what? His power living in us. Okay? Okay. Got one more. John 16, 1 through 4. I think this one should be bigger in our lives than it is. Maybe I should say it this way just to be fair. I think this one should be bigger in my life than it is. And I'm just guessing that you're a little bit like me. John 16, 1 through 4. Let's see if I hit the right passage this time.
1: Yet an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. However, I did not say these things to you at the beginning because I was with you.
0: What is the point? This is, let's say this first. Jesus is speaking again to his apostles on the way to the cross. Not literally on the way yet, but very close in time. What's Jesus' point here? He's got really two, maybe three, but at least two.
2: Persecution.
0: Persecution what? What about persecution?
2: Uh-oh, they will be persecuted because they are Christians. Yeah,
0: right? and we're talking to the apostles. So okay. they had a special, I mean, they were really going to be persecuted because they were in that early... Early start. They were foundational. And they were going to be persecuted like people who are foundational would be. But Jesus also said, if if you follow me, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. Um, Should we expect a good reception in this world? No. Now, Jesus made another point there. And what was the other point? I tell you this so that. He won't go astray. He won't go astray. So that when it's happening, you won't think, what's wrong? Is God failing? Did God go away? Is God letting me down? No, this is a part of God's plan. <clears throat> this is how God is going to establish his kingdom, and we can anticipate that it's going to continue this way throughout time. This is a great advantage to us, That Jesus said these things, right? Otherwise, we might do like Abram and say, I'm scared. I think they might kill me. Let's not tell the whole truth just this one time. Let's be deceptive right now. Let's run from it instead of what we're called to do. So what situations or events, and I want you to be very practical. It's easy to say, oh, when they're coming to kill me because I'm a Christian. But let's talk about where we live right now today. What situations or events might tempt us to respond out of the strength of mankind or out of our own strength or out of our own will instead of out of a, an allegiance to a subjection to uh, God himself? Where might we try to take things into our own hands? And I'm going to give you one pointed example. Then I'm going to talk about where our goal should be. Right now, this week, what happened in D.C.? It would be very tempting to think <clears throat> the world was on its hinges and turning straight if we could just finish what started here, right? Isn't this a good thing? Yeah, you know, we're not going to say that it's a bad thing. This, and and it, it, would it be right for Christians to advocate for what has happened? Yes. Absolutely. But we can't put our faith and hope and trust that we're going to turn this world into a good world by getting good people, making a good government, making good decisions. Because just like every time God did a redemption up through the time of Abram that we're seeing here, the world is still full of evil people. That's the problem. And so the answer is not try to get the best government there. Now should we still help with that? Should we still do everything we can to, to try to get good governments that make right decisions that are upright? Absolutely. I'm not saying abandon it, but we can't put our hope in it. We can't begin thinking that this is the focus, that this is what we're trying to accomplish as believers. Because Jesus himself said it, when in front of Pilate, I, I'm not in this kingdom. If I wanted this kingdom, I could call down legions of angels and have it. That's not exactly the way he said it, but that's the effect. If I want this kingdom, it's mine. I don't want this kingdom. So what should we want? I want you to turn over to Hebrews 11, 13
2: through 16. Come on.
0: Hebrews 11:13 through16. This is the faith chapter of Hebrews. We, we get the long list of people who were faithful to God and are occasionally contrasted with those that weren't and how their faith was reckoned as righteousness. Now, after these verses of ways, we're also going to get a list of people who were sawn into and all kinds of other manners of oppression, and they're still listed as the men of faith in this chapter, okay? So this isn't just a chapter everything comes up roses if you're a believer. But there's some good things in it. But let's read a description of these people in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16.
1: These are... would have had opportunity to return but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city by faith abraham no, miss-
0: that, that's that's far enough 16 <clears throat> what's their focus was it something found here on earth no, no. no now they as they lived their lives they may not have started there clearly abram in our story he wasn't all focused on heaven, was he? He wasn't focused on a life to come. He was focused on God promised me a nation. I'm going to go out and get, I'm going to have it. It's going to be great. And, and he did experience a lot of those promises here on earth. But the real promise, the greatness was going to come through Christ. And it was going to be completely fulfilled in the life after this one. And you could take that through the other people in this chapter as well. So here's our focus for ourselves personally. So why don't we all just die and go to heaven? Well, I want to, I want to take you to one other purpose that we have in history. And you're going to recognize this quickly, but Matthew 28:16 through 20. Matthew 28:16 through 20. you have that, Alan?
2: Yeah. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, they worshipped him, but, they, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.
0: So when Jesus departed this world, he gave the believers, starting with the 11, transferred down through us a mission. And that mission is twofold. One is to bring people into the kingdom, and number two, grow them up in the kingdom. Now, I feel a little bit, inadequate in our coverage this morning because there's so much in the scriptures that we should be focused on and doing we're given so many directions we're given so many things to help us but just to kind of hit the mountaintops here our focus in this life should be taking people with us who are fully mature in christ also out doing their work of taking people with us so that we might have many brothers and sisters so that jesus would truly be as the scriptures say the firstborn of many. And so that's our focus. It's not about wealth. It's not about safety. It's not about fun things. Just make your list. And as life happens, we're going to have things that bring apprehension. Might be the easiest word. Fear might be the most accurate word. There are going to be maybe oppressions. There might be health things. They might be sudden deaths in our family it's going to be all kinds of things that can bring fear into our lives and when we are faced with those difficult things we can like Abram try to figure it out for ourselves we can take a step back and actually I um, all of a sudden my brain locked up on the verse I wrote it down, but where did I wrote it down at? Um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So somebody say the reference. What's that? I think it's Philippians. Philippians 3, 16. Uh, Philippians went out of my head. All I could... G- First
2: session,
0: well, there's two. There's more than one place that says that. The be anxious for, for nothing, it, it, I believe it is Philippians, though. It is Philippians. Yeah, Philippians 3.16, isn't it? Well, it's Philippians 3, I'm pretty sure. Sorry about that. My age catches up with me <laughs> much more quickly than I'm willing to admit. Um, while you're looking for that, I just want to finish out this point. Um, it's easy to be anxious in this life. As a matter of fact, I'll say it the other way. It's difficult not to be anxious in this life. But we're told in this verse that as we face those moments that would cause anxiety, the place to turn is prayer. And expect out of that, God will be guarding our hearts and our minds. So he's going to take care of what's going on internally within us as well as give us some comfort about how we plan what to do because we are going to decide what to do it's just am i going to decide to do it god's way or am i going to try to take matters into my own hands and i'm i'm one that has way too much sin in my life i don't need to add any more way too much sin in my life and i don't need to add any more and this is part of the path to not do that but it's also the path to serve god well what's that Four six. Four, six. Four, six. Yeah, not okay philippians four six um so so that's kind of my point today we when we look at abram it's real easy to say what were you thinking but how many times in our own lives are if somebody could read about it like we read about abram they would go what were you thinking you know what what what's wrong you've got christ you've got god's word to guide you you've got the promise of eternity even if in this life you lose your life And so, why do you fear? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Lord, thank you for the many advantages we have living in this part of history. Lord, we can see Christ in our past history and in our future with clarity. Oh, yes, there are some things we see through a glass darkly, but by and large, Lord, you've given us Clarity about salvation and redemption and acceptance in your sight. We know what it means to be declared righteous. Lord, let us not be frivolous with that. And Lord, let us not rely on ourselves. We have too many examples from history of what happens when man follows his own way. When we do what is right in our own eyes instead of looking for your direction for us. Lord, I don't know what's coming in this world, but you do, and you guide us with your eye on the path ahead of us, and we thank you for that. And, Lord, we may have very difficult times ahead, but we trust you to lead us through them, even if it means you lead us into giving up our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.